From Chagdagumpa Riggs and Lane, this is Listen, Contemplate, Meditate, a podcast featuring a range of teachings from the Buddhist tradition presented by Lamas of Chagdagumpa Foundation. Our website is chagdagumpa.org. So I'm very happy to welcome all of you here to the Otsaling Temple at Chagdagumpa Foundation. Um, along with uh, those of you that are online, who are listening and watching, I'm very happy that you can participate. So this morning in my prayers, I I always uh, pray that whatever benefit there can be um, by our activity would reach and extend to a greater and greater um, inclusivity for all beings, and I always wonder, you know, what is it that I should should teach? What is it that I should share? And I ask questions like that of my practice. And this morning, I I think that we, what we will talk about is about precious human birth. In terms of the Buddhist teachings, uh, Lord Buddha taught that um, we have some problems in life. Actually, we all know that. But the Buddha was pointing out that the problems are big problems. We have problems such as birth. You know, we don't even remember being born. But it was not an easy day. It was not an easy day for our mother, which was like on a scale of 1 to 10, a very difficult day for your mother but they don't even have a scale to consider how difficult it was for the child. And we just kind of like take that all in stride. Oh yes, okay, happy, happy, you know, baby gifts and all that. But being born is really hard. And nobody in this world was able to avoid that hardship. Not only are we born with great adversity, and, you know, not the same as it used to be, but babies die because birth is so difficult. Then we we are born, it's a great hardship, and then we become vulnerable to all manners of sickness and contagions and difficulties. I mean, even if we really eat well, even if we take all the right nutrients, if we do everything we can, we can't avoid sickness. Sickness afflicts us, affects us. And aging. Aging is a a challenging topic because you don't really understand it until it's too late. And there you are, you know, uh, it's not easy to walk, it's not easy to sit. Rinpoche used to say, now as an old man, I sit like a bag of potatoes that fell off the cart. And when I try to stand, it's like trying to pull a peg that's been hammered into the ground up. To pull it up out of the ground is what it's like to stand up. I used to think he was exaggerating, but now I know completely exactly how it is that Rinpoche felt. And he would say, I look in a mirror and I see an old man, but my mind is very young. Our body, in a way, betrays us because it isn't able to sustain itself on infinitum, we are impermanent. Not only is it a problem that we get old and all the conditions of old, old is amazingly difficult. I, I think I told the story before of the day that I went to the gas station and I asked for gas in the car, please put some gas in the car, and the man said to me, yes ma'am, And I looked to see who was there. Who was he talking to? 
Then I realized he was calling me ma'am. I was young. I was so offended. Excuse me. And I had no right to be offended then. As you become old, people don't see you. They look through you or past you to something else pretty going by. Or, or vital who's going by. It's almost like you become part of the environment. It's very difficult. And I really still don't have so much of a right to talk about that. But I know. One of my dear, dear friends who has since passed away, he said, old age isn't for sissies. It's very challenging and difficult. And it's not as difficult as dying. Death, wow, that's really hard. So we have big problems. Birth, sickness, aging, and death. And you know, we don't like to talk about them actually. We try to make little sweet rituals around birth to make it easy. Sickness, you know, we, we avoid so we don't get, we don't, we don't catch it. Aging, I don't know how we can manage that well. Maybe Pilates. I don't know. We can try. But there is an inevitability and that is not avoidable. So we, we try to overlook these things and we try to keep a, you know, a positive outlook. But most of the time we just distract ourselves. We just keep busy, like, you know, don't think about it. Keep busy, it's too depressing, just go on. Just get busy, go do something, you know, entertain yourself. But that is even hard because when what we try to do to make ourselves happy, we can't always manage. We can't really squeeze out of the life what we deserve in terms of happiness. And of course, I deserve all the happiness I can possibly manage. And more would be better. But happiness is tricky. Even if it's findable, which generally that's risky, it's not capable. And that means we have to find it again. And again and again. And that causes addiction. Addiction is the constant search for happiness. So you have to look in your own life. What are you searching for? What do you think it means? Well, I don't have to be happy. I just need enough. I'm not trying to be greedy. I just need enough. But then, what is enough? Look and see what is really enough. Because when you have a hundred, enough is a thousand. If you have a thousand, enough is ten thousand. If you have ten thousand, enough, how, how many hundreds of thousands before? It's actually enough. And if you get to such a high number that there's enough, enough for sure, you still have this ache, this empty place, this like, okay, well, maybe I need a baby. Maybe I need love. But who will love me? I have too much money. All they love is my money. It's it's difficult because even though we search for happiness... It's not that we can actually be satisfied and fulfilled. And then when we begin to realize that as we get older, we begin to realize, well, happy may be too much to ask for, really. Just not unhappy, please. Just don't, don't let me be miserable. Don't let me, I don't want to live under a bridge. Please don't let my children like ignore me or be mean to me. Just, just, 
don't hurt me, please. But everything starts to hurt. Everything. And this challenge of birth, sickness, aging, and death, not being able to get what you want, not being able to avoid what you don't want, this is what the Buddha called suffering. And basically, suffering is dominant in our experience as human beings. So this is the story in which you and I and all the rest of you who are listening, unless the dog is there in the room listening, all of us are human And being a human means something very remarkable. It's not that it's just remarkable because you're born out of a vagina and you grow up in a human world. You could be a mass murderer or something like that, and it wouldn't be a great human life. But a superior, extraordinary human life it doesn't mean that you're free of suffering. It doesn't mean that you, that you have everything that you want. It means that you have, a, you have the opportunity to hear and understand wisdom. That you could hear the teachings. That you could listen to the Buddha. Even though we don't have the Buddha directly with us anymore, We do have the living lineage of all the practitioners on down through time to our own precious teachers who hold the living lineage of the Dharma, exquisite, perfect teachings on how to utilize a human life to realize enlightenment. And you can have that. Now, whether you understand what that means or whether you take advantage of the opportunity or whether you even care or not, that's about you. But the fact that the opportunity is there means that you could resolve the suffering, that you could be free in the experience of the true nature of your mind. That you could be a positive influence to those who are connected to you, who sees you or hears you or touches you or remembers you. That you could have something meaningful to impart through your authentic being. For us, personally, what we have to have in this opportunity to listen to the Buddhist teachings, what we need is a good heart. What you need to come with is a pure heart. And that, on our side, is a big job. Considering the fact that We are so dominated by our own personal needs and insecurities that we almost don't even notice others. So pure heart is something we have to train in. So the Buddha, when he pointed out what's really problematical, what's really uh, going on for us in that our life, our experience of life is dominated by these experiences of suffering and loss, these experiences which we can't control, even though we try our very best. We are not able to control all the massing uh, interdependent conditions that affect us. And not only that, we have this kind of deep self-sorrowing this deep sense of tragedy that if we're left alone by ourselves for a while or if we, if we notice late at night 
we're unhappy, even if we're in a perfect marriage, even if we have good friends, even if we have a good job, we have this kind of aching, self-sorrowing that is so, so overwhelming. These are the points that the Buddha made. He said, life is suffering because of impermanence. Life is suffering because of suffering atop suffering atop suffering. No matter how bad it gets, it can always get worse. There's nothing fair about it. It can always get worse. And then there is this deep, pervasive suffering that even when you're fine, you're not fine. It's not okay. Something is wrong. Something is missing. Something is aching. So the Buddha, he, he nailed this. And he called it suffering. That we unenlightened beings suffer. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're beautiful or you're, you know, plain. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're white or you're black. It doesn't matter if you're tall or short, male or female. We have a consistent problem. And it is consistent not only in this life, but it is consistent on in perpetuity. Why? We would have to ask. And the Buddha said, you should be asking why. Why are you pretending? Like, just entertaining yourself and, and avoiding the issue. Why are you looking away? Why aren't you seeing this? Well, it's too depressing. You know, why not just look at the bright side of things? But the bright side of things isn't bright either. So we have to ask the question, why is this happening? And the Buddha answered the question. He said, it's happening because of the way our mind is working. We think it's happening because of global warming, or we think it's happening because of the politics. We think it's happening because of Dioma. We think it's happening because of our husband or our wife or the dog just vomited in the car. We, we think the external conditions are why it's happening. But that's because we're not well enough informed about our world or ourselves to understand what is really happening to us. But you as a human being, you can understand. This is your human advantage. You can understand. So the point is, your mind is observing your life you see it, you hear it, you taste it, you organize, you gather all that information. You see the life. You feel the experiences dependent upon what you see and hear and taste and touch and smell. I was watching some educational program, which I'm t I tend to, and, and this, this fellow, he said, you know, no light goes in your brain. Do you realize that? No light goes in that solid bone encasement where you have gray matter. The light is translated from your eyes receiving this image or this sensation of an image, and that is translated into electrical patterns that is then understood and experienced by your brain. So we see the world. But if our eyes are limited, if our mind is limited in its, its experience of that uh, information, then what we detect of the world is not completely true. like a kid who has crossed eyes. He's not seeing the world properly. His eyes are crossed, so he sees things all kiddiwankas. 
That's not a problem with the world. It's not a problem with the furniture. The world is not blurry and in doubles. What he is experiencing is the limitation of his perceptions and his ability to understand those perceptions. What's even more amazing is that the amount of information your brain is producing is far greater than the information that it's taking in through your eyes. Your mind, your, your perceptors, your sensation of reality is, is kind of virtual. And this is what the Buddha was saying. Your mind is doing this. We don't understand how our mind works. We don't understand who we actually are. We don't understand that our sensation of ourself is kind of a hybrid of conclusions that we have come to habitually for lifetimes, and it isn't actually the whole truth. Who we think of as I is not the whole story. It's a concept. It's a conclusion. It's a conclusion that we function with and we believe and we project and we assume to be true. But there are complications from this. The complications from this are insecurity. Insecurity is a byproduct of not really, truly knowing who you are. And so, there's doubt. There's a question. There's an imperative to prove who you are to yourself, who is never really completely confident because it's impermanent. It's shifting and changing. So then the Buddha said, look, this is what is producing our experiences of suffering. The way that our mind is working, the way that we assume our reality to be true, in the way that we perceive and the conclusions that we perceive, the assumptions that we operate under, about who we are and what our world is, is not as true as we think. It's more true like a reflection in the mirror is true. Is that really true? Are, we, are you really in the mirror? Or is it your reflection that's in a mirror? If it's the moon reflected on the surface of a pond, is the moon really in the pond? Well, yes, you can see it there. But is the moon in the pond? No. Seems so silly when we talk about it. But now we assume based on our perceptions, when actually we don't understand our perceptions very well. So what do we do? We go out and measure things. Well, the moon is this size and this size, and it's just perfectly sized. Well, yes, it must be the moon. We take the temperature, we look for the measurement, we get some, some, some collaboration, and we assume it's true because we've collaborated. But is an echo true? Like an echo, like a mirage, like a hallucination, like a dream. We don't understand what our mind is making. And so what happens to us is that we act and we react based on these conclusions which are not exactly true with hope and fear 
We act and we react on these conclusions with hope and fear, and then we complicate the action again. We decide what we like, what we don't like, what we want, what we don't want. And when we consider the suffering that the Buddha is talking about, we don't want that. We don't want that. I mean, whether we put it in Buddhist terms or we put it in everyday general terms, we don't want these kinds of sufferings. So what do we do? Well, we idealize. Hmm, what if I never got old? What if I never died? What if I could live forever? What if uh, there was no sickness? What if? And we start idealizing, idealizing, imagining. What if? And it could be. And how about that? And it isn't like that. It's terrible. It's difficult. It's impermanent. It's compositely complicated. It's, it's pervasively miserable here, not knowing and not having power and not being able to change things the way that I want, to get what I want. So I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here now. I can't stand this. If I can't get out of here, I'll drink. If I can't get out of here, I'll use drugs. If I can't get out of here, I'll, I'll, let, I need a nap. I need a nap. A nap, please. Got to get out of here. So our tendency, believing the phenomena, is two sides. We are either attached to an idealistic future of possibilities which we will work for endlessly, or we are running away from the potential suffering that is inevitable and overwhelming us in the moment. So we're doing idealism and escapism. And we just move from one to the other, back and forth, like swing. Idealism, escaping, what if I, how do I do, you know, trying to make a correction in our course to make sure that we can be happy, because that's all we want, really. We just want to be happy. It's not complicated. Well, yes, it is complicated because it gets complicated. We just don't want to be unhappy. And everything we do is trying to make that work. And the Buddha is saying, but that won't work. This is where what the Buddha taught is very interesting. And you can understand this. If you think about it, you can understand. Whatever idealistic future you accomplish is impermanent. And whatever avoidance you have in this moment, whatever you're going through in this moment that's so terrible, it's impermanent too. You can understand that. Chagdur Rinpoche, my great and glorious guru, he said that the greatest human quality, human, just a human quality, is contentment. To simply be content. That doesn't mean accepting the status quo. That means relaxing in the moment, okay. It's amazing because if you can get off this roller coaster of idealism and escapism, what Buddha is referring to is present. It is found initially by being willing to be present, to be content. In that moment of contentment, you can begin to experience something different. You can begin to see the reflections of your mind. You can begin to understand your terrible roller coaster of hope and fear, idealism and escapism. You can begin to understand what's actually happening to others. They just want to be happy like you. They just want to be free of suffering like you. They are on this roller coaster of hope and fear, of idealism and escapism. They are trying to make it work somehow. 
But it doesn't work. Because perfection is not somewhere else in the future someplace. Perfection is inherent in our being. But we're so confused by our conclusions and this hybrid assumption of self that we don't recognize our own being. We don't detect our Buddha nature. And so we suffer. The suffering is self-perpetuated and self-experienced. And it's on infinitum, although always impermanent. So the Buddha said, if you can understand this, you can start to change this. If you understand what's going wrong, you can start to change this. It doesn't have to be like this, although it is. For us and every other unenlightened being, this is what it is. So we begin to approach a correction. The spiritual path is not just another uh, esoteric idealism to grasp after. The spiritual path is a correction to our own mind, which allows us to experience our own nature. and our own pure heart. Our true nature has qualities, has qualities of love, compassion, joy, equanimity. Our true nature has wisdom. Our true nature is not confined to this roller coaster of hope and fear. This is your human opportunity, is that you can engage in that correction in your own mind, in your own heart. If you're so obsessed with idealism and escapism that every moment of your day is planned, and as Paulistas, I know this obsession with the, the schedule. You have no capacity to relax in the present nature of perfection that permeates you. And so then, the roller coaster just goes on and on. Not only for you, but for every unenlightened being. This roller coaster just goes on and on. So when do we push the emergency button? You know, to stop the roller coaster happens when you understand that it isn't working. You're not going anywhere. It's just up and down and round and round and nothing going anywhere. Even though maybe you're rich one time, you're poor another time. Maybe you're beautiful one time, you're ugly another time. If you're powerful and strong one time, you're sick and weakly another time. If you're human this time, you have no guarantee you'll be human next time. Now, your human opportunity is now. Now is the moment to listen to the teachings, to contemplate the meaning of the teachings, like really think about it, people think about it. I mean to you know, stress you to think about things, but not that thinking is the solution, but thinking makes you realize, okay, this isn't going to work, then you apply the solution, which actually has to reach past your thoughts to your nature, to your being, to your absolute pure heart. This we only get to 
by meditating. And not just meditating in any old which way, but meditating with information and understanding, meditating with character and qualities, meditating with pure heart. We can experience the true nature of our being. Like the difference between looking at your reflection and knowing your own face. That's a big difference. So the procedures and the processes that we need to be able to make a correction in our own mind have to do, first of all, with understanding that we're not unique. These problems that we have, every unenlightened being has. And compared to humanity, many kinds of beings have problems much worse than ours. The animals, for example, their problems are much worse than ours. We have at least choices we can make. The animals don't have choices they can make. So we understand the world of the animals. At least we can perceive the world of the animals. There are many worlds we don't even perceive. They're too far away, or they're a little bit different. Our eyes are not able to see them. Just because we don't see them doesn't mean that they don't, they don't have that experience. So, we start to understand that there is a big problem here. And it isn't just our own. This is a problem of the unenlightened mind, whoever has unenlightened mind. So what is the hallmark? What is the, you know, the, the logo of the unenlightened, unenlightened mind? The, the logo is I. I am. Because we don't understand who we are, we make an assumption that I is who I am. And we function with that as if it were true. Kind of like an adopted child. An adopted child really has different biological parents, but they're experiencing a family, they're experiencing support, they're experiencing a name, they're experiencing many things, but it isn't exactly the whole story. Us, our story is not confined to I. But whoever has I, believes in I, uses I, preferentially, I am, and I am more important than you are. I know who you are, and I know, oh, you're all nice, you're kind of nice people, it's okay, as long as you don't, you know, bother me then you're fine. But if you bother me, I don't need you. If you bother me, why would I? Why would I put up with that? Why would I stay married to you and you're a, a complete poop? Why would I do that? That makes no sense for me, does it? Why would I do that? And there comes the divorce proceedings. Because I am most important. And we don't even question that. That's just like good common sense. You're the most important. I'm the most important. I am, and therefore, everything else that is not me is not me. And so, me first, and then you. Maybe if I like you, or you look right, or you, you know, the 40% of my brain that's operating in facial recognition thinks you're okay. Who knows if you are, but... And when my chemistry starts to move and I start to think, oh, you're yummy, then even if someone warns me and says, no, 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 he's a bank robber, no, 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 he's this or that, I don't even listen because he's yummy, or she is yummy, for a while. 
because everything is impermanent. Yami is impermanent. Cuidado. <laughs> so, I, 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 it's like, it's like a demand, it's a mandate, I need, I want, I like, I don't like, I'm going to become great, no, I'm going to be a failure, I'll never go anywhere, nobody will know who will love me, I'm going to eat worms, because I'm miserable. If I'm miserable, you're miserable. Because. And the Buddha said, look, this is the problem. Now, that's a, that's a very brave teacher, I think. A very brave teacher to put his finger right on the problem exactly where we sit. Where we sit is in I. And I see, and I smell, and I taste, and I like, and I don't like, and I take what I like, and I push what I don't like, and I using the poisons of attachment and aversion and pride and jealousy, 84,000 poisons of the mind of I, I make everything complicated. I produce karma. I experience karma. I hate karma. Karma is really not acceptable. Honestly, Karma is not acceptable. There's no way to win with karma. But that means there's no way to win with I. Because karma is the outcropping, the creative complications that are produced by I, by I and the poisons of the mind. And then there's habit, the bedfellow of karma. Habit. Habit is so bad. These are like major bad guys. Habit sinks your ship over and over and over and over again. Habit makes us believe it's true. It's happened so many times before. And this is what I'm like. I'm like that. That's who I am. That's what I'm like. That's where I'm going. That's what I, I think. And because of the habit, I think it's true. I think it's real and true because I've been through this before. You're not fooling me. I've been through this before, I say. And I is validated by its own habitual negative tendencies of delusion and confusion. And then we have this, this belief that I am the center of the universe, and you are everybody else. And I just goes there, plays there, functions there. This is what is happening to every unenlightened being. The Buddhas don't function by I. Majina. They don't function by I. They don't have division between I and otro, other. They don't have a schizito. They're not split. They're non-divided awareness beings of absolute openness, limitless, compassion, and omniscience. They don't function the same way as we function. And we believe in function. If it functions, that's what's true. So, compassion begins to dawn in our mind as soon as we understand that this problem is happening to everybody. It's not just you. You don't get to be king, queen, center of the whole, the whole problem. This is the problem of 
unenlightened mind. Though your nature is Buddha, the mind is functioning with delusion, confusion, and schizito, division. And in that, we think it's true. And it's not as true as we think. But this is changeable. You have to understand that the change, if you do the change for I, you will never change anything. You have to serve a greater, a greater quality. And that greater quality is selflessness. That greater quality is love and compassion for every unenlightened being. That greater quality is service and dedication to their enlightenment, to their freedom from the delusion of the unenlightened mind, to the revelation of the true nature of absolute mind. And in that... I will listen to the teachings. In that, I will contemplate, I will think about it, I will, I will train my mind. In that, I will meditate until I break this open and I can serve every being without exception to their enlightenment. And it doesn't matter how difficult it is, doesn't matter how long it takes. Time is part of the delusion. So from now until samsara itself is empty of sentient beings, that every being has been placed at the level of their complete enlightened mind, I will work serve, care, dedicate. I will listen, contemplate, meditate to realization for the sake of all beings. That is pure heart. And with that pure heart, in conjunction with the teachings of the Buddha, and the pure and perfect lineage of the Vajra Masters, and your pure-hearted application to those teachings, that's what we call a precious human life. That's what you have. Now you, you have it for only so long. It's not something you can have forever. But in that you have it, you need to realize you are fortunate Most of the time, we spend our time bemoaning the fact that we don't have everything we want, we're not exactly the way we want, everything is not the way we want, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it isn't, but nonetheless, you have these conditions. And if you ignore these conditions of a precious human life with pure heart, and accessibility to wisdom teachings, then you're wasting your time, your impermanent time. None of us knows, really, how long we have. We assume we have long, but you know, that's not, that's not, that's gambling. We don't know that, that's not true. We never know if we have tomorrow. But today, Honestly, today, your pure heart, inseparable with the teachings, applying yourself with contentment and dedication, then your life is a path to enlightenment. Not only to benefit you, but to benefit whoever sees you, or hears you, or touches you, or remembers you, because you become a wisdom being. 
That's the greatest thing that you can do in this life. You know, buying that boat is not going to produce lasting fulfillment and well-being for you and others. I mean, some good Sunday afternoons for sure. But compared, it's not really adequate. So then, with great respect and and uh, appreciation for the kindness of the great masters who teach, like our own teacher who taught, that we could have the chance to listen, that we could have the chance to contemplate and meditate. This is the best. It's really the best. So then enjoy it. Enjoy it immediately. Don't wait, because we are in a kind of, uh, in a predicament with time. Our time will run out. So between now and our impermanence, then, always cultivate your pure heart. The, the Buddha put it very succinctly. The Buddha said, do no harm whatsoever. That's hard. That's hard to do. But do no harm. And further, do virtue. Do be good. Be helpful. Be kind. Completely. Thoroughly. But finally, you must train, tame your own mind. So I'm going to stop at that point and we should dedicate the merit to the enlightenment of all beings. This podcast is supported by the generosity and kindness of Chagdagumpa members and donors. If you're interested in becoming a member, making a donation, or if you want to learn more about Chagdagumpa, feel free to go to chagdagumpa.org.